Hi, and welcome to another episode of Mooney Birth Stories. Um, it's been quite a while since I released a, a new episode. I needed a bit of a lengthy break for various reasons, but I am back and hoping to release a handful of episodes in the coming weeks. Um, today I'm joined by Liz from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, who shares the birth story of her daughter, Marjorie. She also talks about her struggles with postpartum anxiety and postpartum depression after having her daughter. Hi, Liz. Thanks for joining me. Hi, Tegan. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a struggle getting on here, but I'm really great, yeah. grateful that we were able to make it work finally. Yeah. Liz and I have been trying to to schedule this for a long time, but with having little kids and illnesses, it's just really, <laughs> really taken a while. But here we are. Um, mm -hmm. And I'd love for you to introduce yourself, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, so my name is Liz, and I'm originally from Quebec, and I moved out to Saskatoon, uh, I think, nine years ago now <laughs> to study pharmacy. And I met my partner here, and we bought a house. And we have a baby that is 21 months old now, Marjorie. We have a couple dogs and a cat. And now we live in Saskatoon. I work as a pharmacist in the community here as well. And then when I was on that leave, I decided that I needed to uh, go ahead and do a doula training so that I can get into the world of birth and prenatal and postpartum and just everything women's health and baby's health as well. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. so great. Awesome. Um, so why don't you tell us about the journey to getting pregnant with Marjorie? Yeah, so I have always like, basically, when I was 16, I went on the pill and was just like always on some form of hormonal contraception my whole life until I think I was 28. I want to say I went on to, I changed to a copper IUD and it was like, I don't know if it was just my biological clock being like, okay, you're getting up there now. Or if it was because I didn't have any like exogenous hormones running the show anymore. It was just my own hormones. But all of a sudden overnight I was like, I need to have a baby. <laughs> and like I never really was the type of person you know, like you, you meet those people that you're like, okay, they're born to be a mom, but I was never really like that. And I didn't really know if I wanted to have kids, but it was just like all of a sudden this biological drive mm -hmm. <laughs> and I knew that I wanted to have a baby. Um, and so I, Pete and I met and we had been together, um, planning on getting engaged and married and I convinced him that we should just go ahead and have a baby because time was time was ticking and um, that we should just start trying to see because who knows, it could take a long time. So that was in um, January of 2020 and I was 30, 31, I think, however old I was. And I got my IUD taken out and then um, Pete was off at work and then he came home and we tried March, April, and then May, and then May we got pregnant. And 
I was not expecting it because the first two months it didn't work. So I was like, okay, well, you know, maybe it'll take a while. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So the third month when I peed on a stick and it was like a faint line, I had this like pit, like a drop in my stomach feeling. And I was like, oh my God, like, is this for real? Mm -hmm. And I remember just going to work that day and I hadn't told anyone. And there was, um, this one young lady that I work with, she's so sweet and and genuine and kind. And I just like, I whispered to her and I was like, I think I might be pregnant. (laughs) And and she's just like, not a random person, but pretty random. Anyways, I just had to tell someone that wasn't going to be like a judge judging person um yeah so that was like the first moment that I kind of put it out into the world and then I told Pete later that weekend I had gone out to my friend's cabin with with one of my girlfriends and we were gonna make some malas and have like a yoga retreat kind of thing and I told her and yeah it was a really fun weekend because she had come out with some wine and she was like would you like a, a glass? <laughs> nope, can't have one. Yeah, yeah so it was pretty straightforward, I guess, journey to getting pregnant. Like, we didn't really have to think too much about it. Mm-hmm. And how, um, how did Pete respond when you told him? Yeah, so then I came home from the retreat on Sunday and told him, uh, I basically put I peed on like a bunch of sticks and then I took the one that looked the most obviously positive and put it on his pillow. I think did I put it on his pillow and then he walked in and looked at it and just was like, what is that? (laughs) Also, why is this a pee stick? Why would you put it on my pillow? But yeah, so he was like, he just looked at me. He's like, really, really? He just kept like, really? And then, so he was pretty excited, but I also think like he wasn't totally um, aware of like what he was really getting into. Mm-hmm. A bit <laughs> I of think, shock. yeah. So as my pregnancy, I guess it started out pretty straightforward, and then by about week six, um, I just was like so sick. Um, and so I started taking Diclectin like right away as a pharmacist. I was like, I'm getting on some drugs, mm-hmm. like anything I can take. <laughs> and I, I told people like we told our friends and our parents like pretty much right away just because I'm the type of per I'm the type of person who tells everybody everything about mm. everything that's going on <laughs> in my life. So I felt like if something were to happen, um, those I would be telling those people regardless of what was going on. So I was just really excited. And Pete, Pete and I decided that we would tell people right away. So mm-hmm. it was easy for me because um, I worked at a location where I had a really uh, amazing manager and she was super understanding. One day I came in, I was like, I'm kind of nauseous today. And she just looked at me and was like, are you pregnant? <laughs> and then I told her. Um. So they were really great at work, even though I was really sick. Um, I just remember having, I had just agreed to take on a pharmacy student and he, he showed up for his first day and I was like, all right, you're going to have to bear with me here. Cause I am super sick, early pregnant. And he was like, Oh no, no problem. I'll do everything. Mm-hmm. You just like lead the way. <laughs> so, you're like, yeah, it was you. really great. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, um, I was really excited about like being pregnant for the first time and um, kind of like birth nerdy and I've always been really interested in birth and you know right away I'm like on the apps and learning about baby's development and <clears throat> taking the pictures and I just wanted to talk about it with everyone mm-hmm. um I didn't really ever I only threw up like a couple times uh, after like around like 24 weeks when I was like, okay, I got to like get off the diclectin and things are going to be better. Like, mm-hmm. okay. Um, and then after that, it kind of got, <clears throat> the nausea kind of went away for a while. I did have, um, low, pretty low iron. So took a, an extra iron supplementation. And the only other thing was, Obviously, I was like super exhausted, but I, by the third trimester, I was like, <laughs> it was like the start of COVID. I or guess we were already into COVID because by my third trimester, it would have been like the end of 2020. Yeah. Because I had her in February of 2021. So we were like wiping down surfaces with Lysol wipes and everything. I had this crazy, like, urge to huff huff, like to breathe it in like Mm -hmm. I wanted to eat the cleaning products it was so weird and I think that that can be a sign of like low nutrients so but I don't know if there's anyone else out there that has gone through that because it was this I just wanted to like eat all the cleaning products it was very strange maybe like just (laughs) a little bit of pica yeah yeah that's what I think and I it it wasn't my iron because my iron was okay because I was taking supplementation so I don't know what it what else it could have been but that was one interesting thing so (laughs) um and so what type of care provider did you have for this pregnancy and did you have any specific plans for your birth okay so I originally wanted to have a home birth like immediately once I was pregnant I was like home birth um and I applied to have a midwife as you do in Saskatoon because there are very few um usually you either get put on a wait list or they just like outright tell you there's not going to be one for you um and I had had a discussion like a bunch of times with Pete my partner and he was just like not on board with the idea of a home birth and I didn't I don't know anyone who has had a home birth or I didn't at the time. Um, and I didn't really have like a point of reference. I mainly have, you know, like the idea of women just go to the hospital, they give birth there. So I kind of didn't really stand up for the idea of the home birth as much as I, I wish that I maybe had a could have. But um, so basically I agreed that we could do it in the hospital. So when I wrote on my uh, application for a midwife, they asked, would you like, where would you like to go first? And I just wrote either or, it doesn't matter. Um, So I think maybe my application was just kind of like, oh, well, like this person doesn't really care. I remember when I called and asked if, if they had received my application, the receptionist asked, do you know any of them? And I was like, no, but should I? Is that like a thing here? Yeah. If I knew one, would I be able to get one? And she said, it sometimes helps. 
Um, so interesting. Yeah, I was I was a little I was quite upset actually. Yeah. Um, after so once I realized that I wasn't going to get a midwife, I started asking around and um, I asked one a doula friend of mine uh, if she could supply me with the names of providers who she thought was who were more kind of natural and physiologically oriented. And I ended up finding my provider and she, she was great. Um, but I still, um, do wish that I do feel sad that I didn't have the opportunities that I would have been afforded if I had had a midwife. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, I just did kind of like all the typical prenatal stuff with my care provider, with my doctor. She's just a family um, prenatal uh, women's health doctor. And around, say, what was I, like 37 weeks, I guess. Start, she asked me to start uh, expressing colostrum and keeping it frozen so that I could bring it to the hospital. Um, and also I had read that like nipple stimulation could help to increase oxytocin and bring on labor. And so, you know, I was all about that mm-hmm. <laughs> because towards the end of my pregnancy, I was like, Oh my gosh, so big and so much extra fluid. And I was just so over it. Um, yeah. So yeah, then why don't you talk about how how and when labor started and and go on with that? Sure. <laughs> okay. So yeah, um, my due date was. So I have a belief that this whole due date system is just silly, because if I calculated it from like the date of conception, which I knew which day it was, um, my due date would have been around. February 17th, I believe. Um, If I calculated it from the first day of my last menstrual period, it would have been February 13th. Um, The dating ultrasound that I did dated me at February 3rd. So February 3rd comes and goes. I cry a bunch of tears because I'm not having a baby today. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And my mom had flown in from Quebec uh, January 14th. I, I think it was January 14th because she wanted to be here like a couple weeks before my due date, just in case I went early. Right. Um, and we had a baby shower. It was really nice to have her here, <laughs> but flying here in the midst of COVID before we had vaccines and everything, it was very stressful. And we weren't even sure if she was going to be able to make it. Oh, you know, being first time mom and just wanting to have your mom there and, mm-hmm. Um, that was another thing that I had, um, you know, had COVID kind of bummed me out about was because luckily here in Saskatchewan, we were allowed to have to, um, support people in the birth. So I was allowed to have my partner and my mom, but for a long time, I wasn't sure if I was going to be. And the other thing was, you know, I considered having a doula, but there was no way that I was going to be able to kick out either my mom or my partner. So Um, that didn't happen. Uh, the one good thing that did happen though, was that a couple of weeks around before I ended up in the hospital, they did bring back the nitrous oxide as an option for pain relief because I 
had planned uh, kind of like non-medical birth um, or non-intervention, I guess, non-medication. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so I was excited that the nitrous oxide was like an option again. But anyway, so my, um, my due date came and went and I was just like so frustrated. Pete had, uh, taken off work starting January 31st. Um, and then I was, it was like minus 40. It was so cold. And I was determined to get the baby out. So I'm, you know, walking and going to the dog park and I was doing laps in the house and nipple stimulation. And I forced Pete to have sex with me. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's like not the nice kind of like we love each other sex. (laughs) We got to get this baby out of here. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It was, um, it was a tough, a tough time. Uh, so I basically, and I know you're going to ask this at the end, but like my number one fear of having a baby was to be induced because of all of the research that I had done that indicated being induced significantly increases your chance of interventions. Mm-hmm. And my whole goal was to do it without, um, you know, so I'm trying everything and then um, at 41 weeks, I went to my appointment and with my doctor for a checkup and she checked me and she did a cervical sweep. I think she did a sweep at 40 weeks as well. And I was like only one centimeter and then, um, yeah, still nothing after that, uh, 41 weeks. And then I went back to see her at 41 plus three, which was a Friday and or 41 plus two, I guess. And she said, I don't want you to go past 41 plus three, but since it's the weekend and I'm not working this weekend, if you go do a non-stress test and everything's okay with you and baby, then we'll leave it until Monday and we can induce you on Monday. (laughs) Red flags, red flags. (laughs) So I didn't know this at the time, right? You know, it's like looking back, I see them. But at the time, I just was like, well, this is what I'm doing now. So I went for this non-stress test and the ultrasound. And the information that came from it was baby is fine. I am fine. I had a slightly higher amount of amniotic fluid than normal, which is odd for being almost 42 weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, And Marjorie was in like a whack position and which at the time didn't even like, I didn't even think about the fact that a baby needs to be in the right position to come out. Um, so, and nobody once mentioned to me like, Oh, you could be doing this or this or this. Like it's basically like if you have a breech baby, they'll tell you, Oh, you should try something to turn a breech Mm -hmm. baby. But if baby is like head down, they just say head down, whatever. Yeah. But she was, um, you know, deflexed and she was, um, OP and yeah, so, um, she was just not in the right position and there was no, she was not engaged. She wasn't pushing on my cervix at all. There was nothing that was going to get started while she was in that position. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think she, she just needed a little more time, but anyways, uh, Monday comes around or no, sorry, Sunday night, 
Um, basically I had come to terms with my quote unquote impending doom of an induction, terrible, terrible attitude to go into it, but that's how I felt. Um, I had pretty much come to terms with the fact that I was going to the hospital the next day and they were going to induce me and I was going to have a baby. Right. So it's about 11 o'clock and I'm like, I should go to bed because I'm going to have a baby tomorrow. I should get some sleep, go to let the dogs out, stand up. My water breaks. Um, big gush. So I get super excited. Pete gets super excited. My mom had had her, she's like, never has two glasses of wine, only ever one. But that night she was like, Oh, we'll just have a second glass. She's like, mm-hmm. Oh, the poor woman. So I go wake her up. I'm like, my water broke. What do we do? And, um, she's like, I guess we should call the hospital, right? So we call them. They say, come on in as they would. Um, so we go in, they check me and it is in fact my water. And then, um, because of COVID we had like brought all our stuff with us because we weren't sure if like what the procedure was going to be. Um, but also there was like a baby boom that happened in February of 2021. And I guess it's still kind of going on. I don't know, but because of COVID and they didn't have any rooms. So we stayed the night in triage. Um, Pete slept in a chair. My mom had her mat. So she slept on the floor on her mat and I slept in a, like the cot. Uh, so basically like we didn't sleep. And then, cause they were like, well, we're going to induce you in the morning anyways, if things don't get going. So you might as well stay. Um, so then, you know, I was like in a very bad place mentally. I was not, um, calm or relaxed. I was extremely anxious and afraid. Nothing happened. I, you know, I just laid there and cried all night because I was worried about being induced. (laughs) And then the next morning, um, you know, they said, my doctor called me and we had talked about doing Cervidil as an option because then they could insert it and then I could go home and labor at home. But then because my water had broken, she said, you know, Pitocin is really the best option for you now. Um, and that was like the number one thing that I didn't want. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was really hard for me to agree to it. And you know, in hindsight, I I just really wish that I had just gone home, um, <laughs> just gone home and got some rest and then decided what to do after the fact. But uh, so <clears throat> they didn't have a nurse or a room for us until like 3.30 in the afternoon. So we were just waiting around. Finally, we got into a room um, and they started the oxytocin at 5.54 p.m. Uh, so yeah, at first it was okay. I was trying to like get my head in the game and I had some music going and I was like, okay, this is, this is exciting. My baby's coming and yes, this is the way that I have to do it. And it's not what I wanted, but I guess this is the way that we're doing it. Um, and then she kept coming in and every half an hour turning it up. And so by around, that was at six o'clock when we started by around nine o'clock, I was having extremely painful contractions and I had been coping. Okay. At that point, but I knew that if she turned up the oxytocin anymore, 
that I wasn't going to be okay. So I asked the nurse to not turn it up anymore. And if I could labor at that level for a while. This is only three hours after I started having contractions. Mm -hmm. So she says, I'll give you half an hour. If I come back and check you and you're not progressed, then I need to turn it up. And honestly, just like it makes me emotional thinking about that moment because it was like that was the moment for me when it was no longer in my control. Mm -hmm. Um, when I felt like the control was taken from me because up until that point I had really you know I had asked all the questions and I had gotten my answers and at this point I was in a place of vulnerability and I was asking for something and I was told you know like you can't have that right Mm -hmm. which is silly so she comes back and checks me and says you're still only one to two centimeters and 50 percent of face and baby's at three minus three stations. So I have to turn it up. I have to keep turning it up. <sighs> so, and I mean, I don't have a voice at this point because I'm just trying to make it through each and every contraction. And they were, I was having probably four contractions already in 10 minutes at that point. Mm. <laughs> like, Okay, so my body, like, did not have a chance Mm -hmm. to catch up at all. So she came in and and kept turning it up. Um, So at 9.35, they, I I know this information because I requested my hospital records as a part of trying to deal with the trauma that I experienced Um, as a healthcare provider. I just wanted to be able to see the documentation. And so I have kind of like a little... Um, have a little notebook where I've written it all out. So at 9.35 p.m., so three and a half hours after it had started, my oxytocin was at like 13. Um, I had been kind of laboring on and off an exercise ball with Pete and my mom coaching me through the contractions and it was going okay. And Pete was doing a really good job because he, he knew how to support me when I was at that level. Um, because I was still able to kind of like communicate with him a little bit. Um, by 11 PM, they had increased oxytocin again to 15. And by 1130, I think I remember she said to me, you're four centimeters now. You can have morphine and gravel if you want it. And I said, yes, <laughs> give it to me. Yes. Mm-hmm. But looking back at the records, like I don't actually see it documented that I was four centimeters until like one thirty in the morning. So I don't know if I like confused those two times or whatever, but I know that they gave me the morphine and gravel at 1130 p.m. And then I went into this, I remember just like going into this morphine haze of like, and I could hear my mom in the distance say to Pete that like, she, I could hear her say, now this, this is what normal labor looks like. And, you know, I don't, 
I don't know what I looked like. I was laying in bed with my eyes closed, I think, but I just was, it, it gave me this sense of like, okay, Liz, like apparently you're doing it and you're coping. Right. Mm-hmm. So a few hours went by. And I think at that point, um, my mom and Pete both took a little bit of a nap. Um, I don't know. Pete told me he only slept for like four minutes <laughs> the whole night. Oh, geez. So, <laughs> um, which is probably true because I was having incredibly painful back labor because of Marjorie's position. And I had Pete like reefing on my back. So I'm pretty sure even though my mom might have slept, I think I was like, don't you go anywhere mm-hmm. because even though I'm in this beautiful morphine haze, I still need you to put like all the counter pressure on my back. So then at 1.30 in the morning, I, there's documentation that I was four centimeters, 90% effaced and still minus three station. So I was making some decent progress from, um, absolutely nothing like, (laughs) you know, just like six or seven hours before. Um, but apparently I was making a lot of like extremely loud vocalizations. Like, I guess maybe I was not screaming, but I was moaning or the nurse came in and told me, I remember her telling, coming to me and saying, your throat is going to hurt. If you keep making those vocalizations, if you want me to uh, give you some alternative coping strategies I can and then left. And then I was like, a little passive aggressive. Uh, yeah. And I was like, um, sure. If you want to tell me, like, I'm not going to tell you that I'll take them because I'm moaning in pain. But if you wanted to tell me also, and my mom was like, that was not necessary because you know, that was my way of coping. And her to like tell I don't know to tell me that it was gonna hurt my throat it's like well uh, I don't care if my throat is gonna hurt yeah because my body hurts like anyways so that happened and then um around 2 50 in the morning so almost three o'clock like so the nurse had told me a few times like baby's in a weird position you need to get on your hands and knees and rock for you know for things to progress. And, um, I tried and like a few times she would, she, she came in and put me in my hands and knees and she would sway with me. And it was like the most painful thing, but while her hands were on my hips and she was swaying back and forth with me, I could do it. And then she would leave and, and nobody took over because nobody knew that that was important. And immediately I had to get back on my lie down on my side. I couldn't do it. I needed that extra energy from someone to be able Mm -hmm. to stay in that position, which is like the key to having a doula or person there who can take over. Right. Um, so it was like a thing that was known because she had said it a few times, baby's in a weird position, but like it wasn't really communicated to the extent of what I felt it should have been. So then, um, three o'clock, they checked me again. I was, six to seven centimeters, still 90% of face. Baby was still up floating at minus three. And then because I was like six, seven, and I was now like super active labor, she said, you can have the nitrous oxide. 
So she said to me, like, you can have it, but once you start pushing, you you can't have it anymore. And I was like, okay, fine. Just give it to me. (laughs) So three 42 in the morning, I started sucking on the nitrous oxide and it helped so much. It was like a game changer. I was able to breathe, but it was really funny though, because for me, it was like, I, I knew exactly what I was doing. I, I know this drug. I know how it works in the body. Um, then I hear Pete like trying to tell me, stop sucking on it. You need to suck room air. You're going to pass out. And I was like, I know what I need to do, buddy. And also yeah. like, <laughs> don't tell me to stop sucking on it. Like, this is all I have. Yeah. So, um, four in the morning, um, I was at a seven centimeters, hundred percent of face station minus one. So baby was coming down. And then by 4.15, there was, um, it was registered on their system that I had, I was in tachycystole. So that means my uterus was contracting more than five contractions in 10 minutes. So I was, um, so that they're supposed to turn down the oxytocin. So she did, she turned it down to 13. Um, and by 4.22, she talked to me about pushing and pain options and mentioned a pudendal block. Um, which I was like, okay, great. But, you know, so I was still, um, having too many contractions at that point. So like half an hour later, I'm still in tachycystole and in so much pain, but like coping. Okay. Cause I had the nitrous and by 4 47 AM, she, the nurse told me that she was going to call doctor cause I would probably need to deliver within an hour. So I'm like, wow, I'm super excited. Things are happening. Um, 5 15 AM. I'm still in tachycystole. So this is an hour later and Dr. Getz gets there, my doctor, and she orders, um, the nurse to turn down the oxytocin again to 11, which is where at 9 p.m. I had asked them to stop turning it up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I find it a little frustrating that I couldn't have just labored a little bit longer at a place where I was comfortable instead. But yeah. all right, this happened. So there's nothing I can do about it now. Um, and I did have a little like I, I had a lot of pressure at that point at like five 30 in the morning, but I didn't really have like an urge to push, but it was like, I, apparently I was making sounds as if I was pushing because people kept telling me don't push. And I remember Pete being like, Liz, are you listening to them? Are you, do you hear them? They're saying don't push. And I was like, I hear them, Peter. Like, the poor guy he's just trying to do like he's like they're telling you don't push and he's like uh he's trying his best you know to support me but Mm -hmm. also to make sure that things go well and um apparently at 6 30 a.m my doctor checked me and I was still only like an eight to nine and so this is two hours after she was like, oh, things are going to happen. And I remember thinking like at 430 when she said to me like, OK, baby's going to come soon. I remember thinking like if I can have this baby by 7 a.m., I will be OK, mm-hmm. you know. And so and they have those big red red clocks, the clocks with the red lights. 
And I remember just looking up and it was like five and then five thirty and then six and six thirty and then it was seven and I was still not having a friggin' baby and I was just devastated. <laughs> I was just devastated. So at seven o'clock, I was like, I need something else for the pain. I can't. Um, and so they pushed fentanyl and it helped not at all. <laughs> it mm. did nothing. Then at 7.25, they pushed fentanyl a second time. And maybe other than making me like feel more sedated, it didn't do much for the pain. She checked me again at 7.45. I was still like eight to nine, um, still zero station. And then my doctor was like, we need to get a consult with obstetrics because of baby's position. <laughs> And then at 7.51 a.m., I turned to my nurse and I just said, just give me the gas and cut it out of me because I had decided that I was done. Mm. And uh, I like think about that moment. I think about that moment and I just wonder. I wonder often. I wonder <laughs> about it so much and the nurse looked at me and she said you know what I'm gonna go get your doctor and so my doctor came in and she said Liz we're not gonna give you the gas but we're gonna give you an epidural she's like there's a thing called an epidural would you like one and I was like give it to me mm -hmm. uh, so you know I said to them while we're waiting for the epidural can you freaking turn off the oxytocin because I'm in so much pain and my doctor said, okay, we'll cut it, we'll cut it down to half. Um, and you know, that helped. I was like, okay, wow. Like so much less pain. Great. Mm -hmm. Uh, so then they got me the epidural at 9, 12 AM and it didn't do anything, did nothing. And they started pumping up the oxytocin again. And I remember just asking my nurse like over and over again, like, why, why is it not doing anything? Why? And then by 9.30, I was still at a nine centimeter, but station plus one because we're just like pounding baby down with a oxytocin. And, oh, I don't know. Ugh, my doctor said, maybe your bladder is full. Maybe that's inhibiting baby coming down. Let's do an in and out fully and see if that'll help. We did that. Um, finally, by... 10 o'clock the obs gets there the ob specialist so that's three hours later yeah like she's like three hours later she comes and checks my daughter at her position and says she's ot deflexed and with caput so and like i just like she and i looked at her and i was like what the hell does that mean like i don't know what that means lady mm -hmm. um and so she looked at me and said she looked at me and Pete and says, how many kids do you want? And I looked at Pete and I was like, what? I don't know. Like one, should we just have this one right now? Or like two, maybe I want two. I don't know. But I think it was her way of saying like, um, either you continue on trying to labor and give birth vaginally and potentially like have an extreme tear because of baby's position or like whatever versus like have a c-section right mm -hmm. at that point i had already basically given up and was like oh, just 
just over it. Right. And I was so exhausted. Um, but I, my doctor knew how badly to her credit to Dr. Getz's credit, I will give her credit. She knew how badly I wanted to give birth vaginally. And she just, she let me go. She kept letting me go, you know, until it was really, so what happened was about, I don't know, 10 minutes after that OBS guy checked me, um, my daughter's heart rate just kind of like fell flat. And then I spiked a fever. And then all of a sudden it was like, there's no more conversation. We're taking you for a stat C-section. And everyone was in the room all at once. We, um, the anesthesiologist, I wish I could remember his name. He was, it's probably in the records, but he was the nicest man ever. And he made it, he made it like a much better experience. It was, it was an awful experience, but I don't know. There was something about him. He was calm. He was gentle. He was like actually looking at me and talking to me into my eyes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so he made, he was like, I know your epidural seems like it's not working to you, but it's placed fine. And I'm going to give you all the drugs and it will be fine. Cause I was like, I can still feel everything. Mm -hmm. So anyways, we go into the, the OR It's pretty quick, like pretty immediate. And Pete was waiting. He said he was waiting in the room where I don't know, they go while I was being prepped. And he said that that was like the hardest 15 minutes of his life because he didn't know what was going on. Mm -hmm. Sorry. And and finally, I guess they invite him to come into the OR. I don't know if they had already started the procedure because they didn't really tell me when it was starting. And then all of a sudden they were like, baby's out. And, um, you know, I looked at Pete and I just had nothing left. I just had nothing left. I was just completely empty. I was just devoid of all everything. And I remember hearing my doctor say, you know, from a distance, um, do you want to know what you had? Because the gender was, um, we didn't know. And yeah, we both said yes. And she said, it's a baby girl. And then we looked at each other and we knew we wanted to name, if we were having a girl, we knew we wanted to name her Marjorie Jade. And, you know, at that moment, I just kind of, like, I hate to say it, but I just pretend I faked being joyful mm-hmm. because I knew that I was supposed to be joyful in that moment, but I, it wasn't really, you know, I didn't have that in me, so I just pretended. And, um, yeah, she came out flat. Her apgar was one. Um, so they had to resuscitate her a little bit. And uh, then by her, I guess, five minutes, they do a five-minute one, she, she had come around and um, she had one little cry. And then they wrapped her up and put her on my chest. And I remember thinking, like, after about a second of, like, her sitting on my chest, it's like, this kid is so big. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's so heavy, and I remember asking Pete, can you take her? Because she's too heavy. Like, I don't even remember. I don't think she was even on my chest for more than, like, 30 seconds because she was so heavy. And because afterwards, I was feeling really nauseous, and I I thought maybe I was going to throw up because of all the meds and everything. And I had, um, so they took, Pete took her away to um, the 
after place. I don't know what it's called. The post mm. op, I guess. And um, she was doing fine. Yeah, everything was good with her. Um, but I had like an extreme hemorrhage going on. And then they had to give me a bunch of medications to stop her bleeding. I lost like 1300 mils of my blood. Oh, wow. Um, and I had a massive infection in my uterus and they, Marjorie stank. Like she stank. It was so weird. Like they were like the odor from the infection. And because my water had been broken by that point for about 36 hours, um, and I had this, yeah, massive infection. I remember the surgeon after he, they had closed me up, he kind of came around and said, um, everything is okay. It went fine. You would be a good candidate for a VBAC. And there was an extreme infection and um, we sucked it all out. Like it, it, yeah. he was just so matter of fact about yeah. it. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> what do you mean? Yeah. Like, <laughs> You're like, expand, oh. please. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So um, then they proceeded to finish closing me up and then they took me over to post off, which was where I was reunited with Pete and Margie and um, I got to hold her in my arms skin to skin and so that was around noon so about half an hour after she was born and oh my god she was just so perfect just so perfect she stank <laughs> but she was yeah. so perfect <laughs> little stinky perfect baby <laughs> little stinky baby um, but because of the infection um, they wanted to make sure that she didn't have any infections, so they had to, um, well, they were supposed to take a blood sample right at that time because then they were going to start her on prophylactic antibiotics, which they messed up and um, they didn't actually take the blood culture before starting her on the antibiotics. So basically, anyway, so that's a little bit later, but they started an IV for her. They tried to do it in her hand, but it didn't work. So then they put it in her head, which was unfortunate for my little baby. And then, but she did so well, like this kid is so tough and she just, it reigns truth still to today. Like she mm -hmm. got her two shot, her two booster shots, one in each arm did not cry. Wow. I'm like, who is this kid? Mm -hmm. I don't know. But anyway, so, um, after we went back to my room, well, we were still in recovery for about two hours because they want to make sure that the anesthesia is coming down and they want to check you for your blood pressure and all that stuff. So, I was like, someone needs to go tell my mom <laughs> what just happened because we left in a hurry and sh things were hitting the fan. And my mom is probably down there like praying right now. So um, I guess I think my doctor came in to check on us and I mentioned it and she's like, oh, I will go tell your mom right away. Mm -hmm. so my mom says that yeah Dr. Getz came down and told her like everyone was okay and what happened and I remember them they were thinking like Margie was Dr. Getz was like this is a big baby because she was 22 inches long oh, wow. they were like for sure she's a nine pounder but to her credit her father is six five and I'm five seven so between the two of us like we're I'm like more taller so she was they were like thinking she was going to be a nine pounder but she was only eight pounds 10 ounces still good size mm -hmm. um 
And so we finally, around 2.30 in the afternoon, we got uh, brought back down to our room and Pete got to tell my mom that her name was Marjorie, named after my mom's mom, my grandmother. And it was such a special moment. And um, yeah, then we were working on um, getting breastfeeding um, started getting her to latch she was pretty out of it for the first while because of all the drugs and just like the c-section everything so she latched okay um but I remember one of the nurses coming in with some of the colostrum and having my mom um just give it to her in a syringe or a spoon maybe um just to kind of like get her going um and then that first night was literally hell I (laughs) so the thing I didn't mention in my pregnancy that I forgot was by my third trimester I had tapered off my um, antidepressant so the first day of my third trimester was the first day that I didn't have any Um, and it was great I was feeling amazing during my pregnancy and I really actually didn't need it but (laughs) in hindsight the day, the second that I delivered that baby, I should have gone back onto my mm-hmm. antidepressants because it was liter- it was like <laughs> snap of a finger, she's out, and all of a sudden it's postpartum, and I was extremely anxious. I don't know, uh, like I don't even know how to explain it, and I had this like, well, also I was extremely exhausted, so exhausted, devastated about the loss of the birth experience that I had wanted, had surgery, you know, it was just so much. And I just, that first night, I just, it was so hard. And then we stayed a total of five days in the hospital because my, um, I, because of the infection that I had. And then because Marjorie was on those prophylactic antibiotics, they were waiting two days for the cultures to come back to make sure that there was nothing growing in her blood. Two days goes by and they realize, oh, we never sent the culture. Darn. So then they wanted to keep us an extra day and take some more blood so that they could make sure that she was doing fine and stop her IV. Um, So that was really frustrating uh, because we were really hopeful that we were going to leave on the Thursday. But then it was like, oh, no, you have to actually stay an extra day. And also we can't take your IVs out. And it was just like really disappointing. Um, But, yeah, I remember this feeling of like the night time would come. Like as the night would come, I would just be like I would have this like visceral like my whole body would have dread, just dread because I knew that I was going to not be able to sleep because this baby needed me (laughs) Mm -hmm. because I was in pain um, because I was so anxious and I just, I can't even explain it. It was like my whole body was just dreading. Like as the sun was going down, I was just like, it was building inside of me and I was like, I can't do this, you know? Um, Luckily breastfeeding was going really well. And then Marjorie's, blood came back clear which uh, it was actually lucky that we got to keep her in our room with us because normally if a baby goes through what she did she would have had to go to the NICU but because of that baby boom the NICU was full (laughs) so I remember the nurses coming down to give her her and or over I don't know where you know coming from the NICU to give her her antibiotics 
and just being like, why is, why is she not up there with us? Oh, right. Because we have no room. So that was one of the really beautiful, positive things that COVID brought. Um, Can't say that there were very many, but if I can look at like, you know, a few positive things. Yeah. Um, So finally, we got to go home with her Friday afternoon around 5.30 and it was like, oh my gosh, it was so exciting, but like so terrifying. And I was just like, not in a good headspace <laughs> at all. I was just so anxious and just, um, my mom had, she was staying with us for another little while, like probably at least another five weeks, I think. So at least I was like, at least I know I have my mom here and she can help us between like my mom and Pete and I, we made it through the first five weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And Margie, like she never lost or she lost like a minimal amount of weight. And then by the Saturday when the healthy and home nurse came by, she had gained it back plus some. Wow! And so it was like, <laughs> she was like five days old and she was already past her birth weight and the healthy and home nurse was like okay well whatever you're doing (laughs) just keep doing it because this kid is a tank all right so um yeah like that was I think still because I was I had colostrum like it was mainly colostrum Mm -hmm. or very like high fatty though I don't know what it was but like around two weeks my milk finally fully came in really and I know this because I was all of a sudden having like this extreme letdown and Margie was pissed. She did not like it. It was like, she was so fussy at the breast. I had to um, do the like lying back breastfeeding where you have your baby like lying on you because the milk wouldn't like shoot to the back of her throat. That was the only way I could find that she would take the breast. And I was dead set on not giving her a bottle. Mm -hmm. So, um, we did that for a little while. And then finally I realized that I could like recline like way back in my rocker and that my people kept telling me to like unlatch her at the letdown, but I felt like I had worked so hard for her to get latched on properly mm-hmm. for me to want to like, I didn't, I just didn't want to unlatch her. So I was like, kid, you're going <laughs> to <you're gonna Yeah. laughs> deal with this milk. So we made it past that. That was a pretty big struggle because you know, she had, we went from like, she would nurse and it would be so sweet and gentle and she would fall asleep at the breast. And then I would hand her off to Pete and he would rock her and put her to sleep and I would get to sleep to all of a sudden she'd be screaming at the breast. And I was just like, what have I done? What have I done? You know, like it's just, it was, it was just such a crazy, um, transition all of a Mm -hmm. sudden my milk just like, um, so we figured that out and then by five weeks, um, my parents, my dad had come to visit to meet her from Quebec. And then my mom and dad went back home together. So my mom was here for a total of like two and a half months. And then at the same time, Pete had to go because he was starting a new job and he had to leave for four weeks. <laughs> so oh my goodness. I was like his mom, his mom. So my mother-in-law came to stay with me and Thank God, because I would have, I would not have survived. I was like, do not leave me alone with this baby. So between the time that like my parents and Pete left and then my mother-in-law got there, there was like four hours where I was alone with her. And I was like, what do I do? <laughs> like, 
<laughs> and so she showed up. She kept me fed. Um, and, you know, it was a tough transition. It was the hardest thing I've ever, 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 ever gone through by far. And eventually I, we figured out the nursing and I was just not sleeping. And so about three months postpartum, I noticed on my Fitbit that my resting heart rate was every day. It was like two beats higher. And I was like, what's going on? And then I would wake up in the middle of the night, my heart racing. And I was like, maybe it's because I'm drinking like eight cups of tea a day. I don't know. I don't normally drink eight cups of tea. I normally drink like three. So maybe I should cut back on the tea. No, Liz, that's not what it is. You have like something else going on. Anyways, a month goes by and I'm finally like my resting heart rate is like 87 and it's just out of control. And I, I messaged my doctor and I was like, so I think something's going on with my thyroid or my iron. Oh, and that was the other thing was because of my hemorrhage, I had a... Um, an infusion, an iron infusion in hospital. So I was like, I don't think that it's my iron, but I know that it could cause racing heart symptoms. But yeah, so anyways, got checked and I had postpartum thyroiditis, which is inflammation of the thyroid postpartum, which can lead to elevated and lowered levels of thyroid hormone. So she put me on a medication to slow down my racing heart and that helped a lot. And meanwhile, this whole time I was like, I think I should go back on my antidepressant, but like, I don't want the baby to get any. Yeah. <laughs> and as a pharmacist, like, it, and now looking back on it, like, it's just, it's so irrational, but, but I get it because I, I see people go through it too. And anyway, so it, it was like in the back of my mind, like I knew that I was really struggling, but I just wasn't at, quite at the point where I could make a choice. So Finally, once the thyroiditis got under control, basically for most women that this happens to, it only happens about 5% of women, I think. It'll go up and then it'll go down and then it'll come back up and regulate after about like five months, five, six months. Some women, it'll stay low and then you have to take a supplement. But for me, it came, it regulated itself, which was nice because I was worried that it was going to be like a long-term thing. If pregnancy makes your body, pregnancy and babies makes your body go wild. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically was thinking about going on my antidepressant. And finally my sister came to visit um, in July. And one of the other resources that I really liked was the postpartum uh, depression and anxiety group that's put on through the SAS health authority. Um, it's like one's weekly group and it was a a game changer for me because I, there were other women there that were going through the same thing and they were like, yeah, we went, I went back on my medication and it was a game changer for me. And I understand what you're going through because I just went through it, you know? So it was a really important resource. And so my sister came to visit and she, it was almost like, Seeing her, like I I allowed myself to give, I gave myself permission to go back on it. I don't know why, but it was like she gave me the extra little strength or boost of courage that I needed to go back on my antidepressant. And um, I started it and it just like, oh, it made a world of difference. And as like, and basically my only worry was that Marjorie was going to get some and then um, it was going to affect her 
personality, her mood, et cetera. And um, as I slowly increased up on it and I watched her and I realized that it didn't have any effect on her, you know, that made it a lot easier for me to keep going as well. So that happened. And then, yeah, things kind of just settled down a little bit after that. Um, and I started getting more used to not being able to do the things that I used to do all the time, you know, yeah, for sure. and getting used to being like number one mom. So yeah. And then we drove out to Quebec in a giant trailer <laughs> when she was six months to visit everyone for her to meet my grandparents. And, um, that was a really nice visit. And then we celebrated her first birthday, which was really nice mm. with all of our friends because, um, uh, because COVID had kind of settled down. Mm-hmm. And then this past summer, um, we all went out to Quebec and Pete and I got married and yeah, everything has been really nice. Good. Um, since everything has settled. Yeah. Good. Going through it was a very intense experience. Oh, for sure. Oh, well, I'm glad <laughs> things have settled down. It's, it's, it's so crazy when you're in it and it's nice when you're out the other side and can look back and oh, be like, crazy. man, I'm glad I'm not there anymore. Yeah, yeah. And the hardest part was just not knowing that it wasn't going to be forever. Mm-hmm. And like with the C-section, the recovery for me was not very good. Like it wasn't very good. And I did end up having a second infection that I had to have another course of antibiotics for. And then um, I got really excited at the six week mark and was like, Oh, I'm fine now. And so I was like going to the dog park and all of a sudden after about like three days of just doing everything that I used to do, my body was like, what have you done? Mm-hmm. And I think I, it took me like, it basically like backtracked me right to the beginning, if not oh. worse, like pain wise. Yeah. And so it was about, I want to say seven months. Um, I was in Quebec visiting my family and that's when I started to be like, Oh, maybe things are starting to get better. Yeah. <laughs> and now I can say at 21 months, it feels like a new normal to me. Good. Um, so yeah, when you think back to when you were pregnant, I know you mentioned this earlier, but, um, you said your number one fear about birth was having an induction. Um, Mm -hmm. did you have any other big fears that kind of stand out to you in your mind? Well, no, I think it was mainly, I think my, the main fear and the thing about the induction was like, I just didn't want to have it be out of my control and and it's it's so funny because now having gone through it and you know thinking about the fact that I would like to go through it again I really think that coming to terms with my fear of of not being in control is what's going to allow me because obviously like if I do have another one I want to have a VBAC I would love to. Um, and <sighs> birth is not 
a thing that you can control Mm -hmm. by any means. And I can have control over my body and I can have control over what happens to my body. Um, but I can't control my baby. So that is the thing that I'm currently working on coming to terms with. And, you know, I, I don't think that it'll ever be something that I'm fully comfortable with, but that's what it has taught me going through. It was like, yeah, my, my fear was about the induction because I knew that it was going to lead to interventions. And then the interventions were, were going to make me feel out of control. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's kind Mm -hmm. of going forward where I would be for sure. Um, Okay. And then was there any particular aspect about of birth that you were most excited to experience? (laughs) Yeah, I was just so excited to experience it as a rite of passage that women have gone through for years for just every person that has been put on this planet has come through another human and man is so powerful. And I was just I just was so excited to be able to feel a human coming through and out of my body, which is, you know, my main reason for not wanting to have interventions or, or an epidural or a C-section was that I, I really wanted to experience that feeling. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just to become part of the club, mm-hmm. the mom club. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, And what is one piece of advice that you would give a first-time parent, a first-time birthing person who's headed towards their labor? I would say that if it is possible, I have two things. So the first thing is, if you can, hire a doula. Because looking back, I even if I wasn't able to have my doula physically with me at the hospital because of COVID, I still wish that I had a, um, hired a doula to have that support. It's different from having a partner. It's different from having your mom or your sister or your friend. It's, it's special to have a doula and, and there's nothing, I can't really explain it, but it's like, I know that <laughs> going forward, if I have any more kids that I will, I will have that kind of support. Um, And the other thing is to trust your intuition. And it's such a, like a, I don't know, an out there, a far out thing to say, but it's so powerful. And in birth, you go into this other world outside of yourself, but inside of yourself where you're communicating with this other being that you have grown and created inside you. And there is communication there and things come up and there's a reason for it. Mm -hmm. So if anything, it's about trusting that, but also surrounding yourself with people that will support you in trusting that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the importance of having a doula and, and, you know, like a positive, a supportive birth team. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then lastly, what did you think was going to be the most challenging part of your postpartum and what actually turned out to be the most difficult for you? 
Oh, this question. Yeah. So I thought breastfeeding was going to be the most challenging part, which it was. It was quite a challenge and especially because I was so set on exclusively breastfeeding and that put a lot of pressure on me. Um, But it was not the hardest. The hardest thing was the sleep deprivation. Mm. Oh my God. (laughs) And I'm the type of person who likes a good eight and a half hours of sleep a night. Um, So to go to like a broken, like maybe three, four hours in a night, like, oh, it was torture. And on top of that, recovering from a surgery. So like if there's anyone out there who is having a C-section like planned or, you know, it happens, like just having that extra support, especially in the first while, so you don't have to do all that extra stuff and you can just rest because you have had a surgery. Like it's this extra layer on top of being, there's like, there's sleep deprivation and then there's like your body physically needs more sleep while Mm -hmm. you're recovering. So I think that was like, um, and that was just a huge, I've never, ever, people say, you know, you hear people be like, I'm tired today. Yeah. I don't know. Unless you've been a mom. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if you really are that tired. Yeah. So that's, yeah, definitely the hardest thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, I'm really sorry that you had to. I'm so happy. You have been able to share my story because it was a hard one. Mm -hmm. It was a hard one. Yeah. The thing that was really hard too was the postpartum anxiety and depression and the fact that like, I really just didn't, um, I felt like didn't want to, I don't know, like I didn't want to be labeled like, like that. So Mm -hmm. I kind of just put it off. Like I pretended I wasn't experiencing it, but like, to the extreme of like very intrusive thoughts of, you know, my baby, if she wasn't going to sleep very quickly in the night, I would have these thoughts of like what I would do to her, you know, and I hate to think back to that time because I haven't really shared that with many many people, but I know a lot of women go through that. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's normal in a way to experience those things, but it's not, yeah. you know, like, you need like it's to get common, help. but it's not it's common, normal. That's what I mean. Yeah. 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 So I, I really appreciate the podcast and just what you do because it has made a huge difference in my healing journey. Well, thank you so much again. And I really look forward to sharing your story. Thank you. Thank you.